Hello, listeners. Today, we would normally be releasing our final episode of Risky Behavior Season 2. It's an awesome one, but we're delaying it by one week. The reason for that is because today is Earth Day. Unless this is the first time you are tuning into this podcast, you probably know that I'm a behavioral scientist and I apply my discipline to addressing climate change. Today is especially relevant for me and my work, but also relevant for each of you. We are all stakeholders in ensuring that we have a habitable planet. And so I wanted to take today to say a few words about where we are in regards to addressing the climate crisis and where we still need to go. Today is Earth Day's 51st anniversary. Appropriating one day of global awareness to our planet, the only home our species has ever known, is hardly enough. But it's even more than that. Earth Day is actually a misnomer. We still live on planet Earth, sure, but it's as though we are on a brand new planet. In fact, already today we're living in an environment our species has never known, a temperature point for which we have no recorded history at ever having been at before, and it's only getting hotter. A hotter planet means more intense, frequent, and simultaneous impacts of climate change, like hurricanes or typhoons, depending on what part of the world you reside in. We're experiencing longer droughts, heavier precipitation events, land degradation, and soil erosion, just to name a few. This leads to food insecurity, water scarcity, civil strife, human migrations, all of which you've heard before. Climate change has been prioritized because of this by security communities around the world as a threat to national sovereignties. It not only creates its own primary impacts, but also amplifies existing tensions. We don't need to look too far for examples on this. Tension between India and Pakistan is influenced by Pakistan's water shortfalls and India's control over Pakistan's supply of fresh water, which is in turn influenced by shrinking Himalayan glaciers. Violent extremist organizations take advantage of water and food insecurity to enhance their leverage over adversaries and local populations. A lack of arable land and water Scarcity in the Sahel in Central Africa is leading young men to seek better opportunities in Europe. This is a migration out of desperation and the power vacuum that is Libya knows it. It's becoming a fertile ground for terrorist recruitment. That is a vivid national security threat. Human migrations will continue to pick up in frequency away from already difficult places to live that will eventually become totally uninhabitable, like places near the equator and in the lower latitudes with already prolonged dangerous temperatures. Remember, sweat doesn't evaporate off our bodies past 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and we can't cool down. The consequences for human health are painfully obvious, and if people can't venture outside safely, then what are the implications for work and life? People don't just stay in places and die. They will move. They will move north away from the lower latitudes. Our global population will redistribute as it makes sense for survival. But the good news is, is that we can anticipate and map movements of people. We can proactively prepare for relocations and manage retreat from vulnerable locations. We can anticipate what is to come, and we must make sure that we max out and stabilize our global temperature increase at no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius from pre-industrial levels by the end of the century. I'm not interested in seeing what beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius looks like for our planet. We still have time to prevent that from happening. So let's actively mitigate against anything hotter than 1.5 degrees, and let's begin to actively adapt to the reality of our new environment. Because we are at this new temperature point, past data is increasingly useless for predicting future climate or weather patterns going forward. This is not necessarily a bad thing, because while we're facing unprecedented risks, we're also facing unprecedented foresight. 
We have more ability to predict future impacts better than ever before. And it's with this knowledge we are now venturing into exploring our new planet. Sure, we haven't gone anywhere, but our environment has aggressively changed around us. But it's not just our environment that's changed. It's the power landscape. We can argue that the bilateral nature of international relations is quickly giving away to multilateral needs and cooperation. The risks we face today as a global collective do not respect arbitrary political borders, and not only are isolationist approaches archaic, they aren't an option. We must work together and increasingly organizations charged to protect our collective global interest, like the UN, like the IMF, and even new military alliances, like the International Military Council on Climate and Security, are stepping up. Just look at this impressive effort. Individual actors don't get much appreciation in traditional international relations either. But we've witnessed how one young person sitting in front of Sweden's parliament with a protest sign rallied the world's youth and their allies to demand change. I am the proud U.S. representative for We Don't Have Time, a social network with 25 million plus reach whose sole purpose is to share good ideas, skill solutions, and amplify the hell out of efforts like Greta's to urgently and together confront and solve this climate crisis. And we can solve it. We have the tools, we have the science and tech innovation, behavioral interventions, and more to make our fears today a chapter of study in future history books rather than actually materializing. And we need fear to get people's attention, to cut through the saturated information landscape. We are all stakeholders in this and we all have a role to play. So scare the hell out of your networks. Take it from a behavioral scientist, it works. But the goal isn't to mobilize people or to cause undue stress and anxiety. Rather, we need fear as a motivator. We need to redirect our fear in a healthy, hopeful, effective manner to come together, to share ideas, to scale solutions, and to ultimately confront and overcome this crisis. So use the tools we have now. The We Don't Have Time app is free. Connect to one another and amplify your efforts. Confront your innate biases, your inertia, or whatever it is that's allowed the status quo to persist. We need to turn the status quo on its head, our collective futures depend on it. You can catch me talking about all this and more tonight on the Discovery Channel for Now This News, alongside other female leaders like Kamala Harris and Gina McCarthy. I'm thrilled to be featured alongside these powerful women, because as we have learned in recent years, and of course with decades of efforts leading up to the present, is that women are powerful and have only contributed a fraction of their potential. Well, we can't afford that anymore. We have the most complex, interconnected global challenges we have ever faced already underway and looming ahead of us. We need women and disenfranchised communities from around the world to contribute their perspectives and their skills. It's from this diversity we haven't even properly tapped into yet that we will develop and adopt the innovations we need to overcome this crisis and to forge a path on our new planet that is aligned to the future we want. One that is cleaner, more prosperous, not in terms of consumption, but in terms of human fulfillment and one that is truly more equitable. We have constructed out the current situation and there's no reason we can't construct a new, better future for humanity in the face of this epic disruption to our business as usual. So let's overhaul and reconstruct in a way that we'll never need to do it again. And one where we will not be concerned about the length of time our children spend outside. Thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts and my genuine hope for the future. Happy Earth Day.